Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. That the same day, the Sadducees also had an encounter with Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they asked him a trick question they had come up with about seven brothers marrying the same woman. Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Now, in the biblical times, women held almost no place in society. None. Their role was to be a servant to their husband and to bear children. Since this woman could bear no children, and all seven had married her, and therefore she was a servant of all seven, really what they were asking is, in the resurrection, whose servant will she be? And Jesus answered them indirectly by telling them they didn't even understand their own scriptures. What a slap in the face, especially since they publicly brought this question to him and he publicly rebuked them. It's embarrassing for them. And then he confounded their, their attempt at tricking him by pointing out there is no marriage in the heavenly kingdom. So next, the Pharisees and Sadducees together tested Jesus on the meaning of the greatest commandment in the entire law. This is in chapter 22, verse 36. And again, Jesus confounds their plans by quoting both Leviticus 19, verse 8 and Deuteronomy 6, 5. Matter of fact, let's go there. Glory to God. In chapter 22, verse 36, we'll read this. Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Now, in him quoting these two scriptures, he did two things. First, he answered their question. Second, he showed the hypocrisy that they were showing because they were not serving and loving the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. You are a spirit being. You've heard me talk about this before as well as other preachers. Glory to God. You are a spirit. You live in this body, but you are a spirit 
being created in the image of Christ who's in the image of God. You know, I'm saying this if you're born again. Even if you are not born again. And I'm talking to those who are not born again and you know I'm talking to you because there's something pricking at your heart right now. You are still a spirit being. There are two types of spirits. Those created in the image of Christ who's in the image of God and those who are created in the image of the devil. You are one or the other. And if you have not truly accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are not created in His image. And you know it. You know it on the inside. There is something, it could be a wondering, as your soul searches for the truth. If I die, will I really go to heaven? Sometimes I wonder about these things. That's what your spirit and your soul is saying right now. If you are not saved. And Jesus, by quoting this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the triune being. Glory to God. For you are a spirit, you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And if you are not serving the Lord your God and loving Him with all your heart, which is where your spirit is, all your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your body. You are not saved. And Jesus turned the question they were asking him to show their own hypocrisy that they were not serving the Most High God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. And they were not fulfilling the second part of the law of loving their neighbor as themselves. They lifted themselves up as being, quote-unquote, all that in today's grammacular. They lifted themselves up as being above the common people. They were lifting themselves up by coming to Jesus, trying to trick him so they could condemn him to the Romans, a Jewish citizen that they were trying to falsely accuse of something and condemn him to death to the Romans. Jesus is saying, you are not serving God because your heart's not right with God. And you're breaking the second commandment because you don't love me as yourself. You think you're better than me. 
He was bringing condemnation to their heart and to their soul and to their mind by turning the question they asked him back on them again. Amen. Then Jesus turned the tables on them again publicly and asked them a trick question by asking who the son of the Messiah was supposed to be. They fell into his trap. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any questions. Chapter 22, verse 46. Why were they afraid to ask him any more questions? Because every time they asked him a question, trying to trap him, he made them look like fools in front of the public. Amen? He turned a question back on them that made them look bad. In everybody's eyes, in everybody's ears, they heard. And then they'd stop and, and think about it. And they'd look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, Yeah, what about that? Remember where Jesus said, You give them all of these burdens that they have to carry, and you don't even try to help them carry them. You just add to it. You won't even lift one finger to help them. And the people are like, yeah, what about that? So they are getting upset that every time they try and trick Jesus, he turns it back on them, making them look bad. In chapter 23, we see Jesus criticizing. Now, this is something you did not do in Jewish society. They would have you arrested and beaten and flogged and maybe locked up in the stocks for criticizing the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. But Jesus does it publicly, and they're afraid to lay a hand on him because of the people. Now, towards the end of chapter 23, Jesus talks about how God had sent them prophets, wise men, and teachers whom they would flog and pursue and kill, even crucify. And he placed the responsibility of every slain prophet on their shoulders and said that the just payment of what they and their fathers had done would be required at their hand. And this scared them. Who is this guy that can talk like this? Nobody can talk to us like this, but yet we're powerless to do anything against him. Folks, if you stand up for the word of God, not, oh, praise God, hallelujah. If you are born again, you are in and of the kingdom of God. Amen? When Jesus brings the kingdom of God back to this earth, now remember, at his second coming, that's not ushering in the kingdom of God. That's ushering in his kingdom. 
which will reign, rule and reign for a thousand years. And why is everyone scared about his millennial reign? Because unlike some of the preachers that you hear about, this is going to be a glorious time and we'll just all be living peacefully and there will be peace on earth and the children will play with the snakes and they won't get bit and the lamb will lay with the lion and won't be afraid. It's just going to be so wonderful. Well, number one, yes, it will be peace on this earth for the first time since the fall of Adam and Eve. But it's not because Jesus is so peaceful and Jesus is so wonderful and and Jesus is just going to be floating around. No, the Bible does not say that. It says there will be peace for 1,000 years because Jesus is going to reign with a rod of iron. And we, those who believe in him before his second coming, glory to God, shall rule and reign with him as kings and priests, that we shall be given different levels of authority in this earth. Jesus said, you know, some will be rulers over tens, over fifties, over hundreds. This is the example. Where Jesus told in the parable of the five talents, come and and you can rule and reign. I'm going to put you in charge over one city. I'll put you in charge over five cities. I'll put you in charge over ten cities. We, now you must understand this as I'm saying it, we will receive a glorified body when we get to heaven. Amen? You die before the end of this broadcast. If you are born again, you are ushered immediately into the presence of of Jesus. We have that example where Jesus was talking about the beggar, Lazarus, and the rich man. It says they both died. The implication is they died on the same day. And the angels came and ushered Lazarus into the bosom of Abraham. They usher us into the bosom of Jesus. Amen. Into his presence in heaven. The rich man died and was taken to hell. We, since Jesus was raised from the dead, at the moment of death, we are raised with him to everlasting life. No matter what sickness or disease is in this natural body right now, Scripture says dust to dust and ashes to ashes. The body will return to the elements of the earth. We were created from the... Man was created from the dirt of the ground and to the dirt we will return. But we will receive 
a glorified body at the last day and return. Scripture in the book of Revelations is, is explicit that when Jesus comes back, we shall be returning with him. This is not... Let me, uh, let me rephrase that. We will return with him to rule and reign with him. Amen. And we have glorified bodies. We cannot die. We cannot be killed because it's appointed on a man once to die. And then the judgment. We have already stood before the judgment seat of Jesus, the Bema judgment. We've stood before his throne. And received the gifts, the crowns that we deserve. We've studied this before. I'm not going to go through the crowns that we are eligible to receive. But we receive the judgment of how we have performed the fulfillment of the calling Jesus has given to us All right, in this earth. And we rule with him on earth for those 1,000 years. Why is everybody fearing the 1,000-year millennial reign? Because the nature of those who are not born again, they're not cast into hell. They'll be given a chance to repent and to, and to actually acknowledge the rulership of Jesus. But because of the nature, the human nature that is still in them that remain, they know they have to obey the rules Jesus sets out. Because otherwise, he rules with a rod of iron. There is no playing around. If you commit murder in the millennial reign, you are immediately judged. That's where we come in. We're his enforcers. And everyone toes the line during their millennial reign. There is peace for 1,000 years on this earth. But it's enforced peace. And those who are not saved, toe the line because they know if they break the law, there is immediate judgment, immediate justice, immediate punishment, and there is no appeal. Now, the Brother Bob, that sounds like Jesus is a dictator. Call him what you want. This is what the Bible says. That's why there's still natural people on the earth, human nature being what it is. They resent being told what to do and what they can't do. They are still having babies populating the earth that have never had an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Savior. These new babies see Jesus. They hear the stories. They understand what is going on. But yet, 
At the end of the thousand years, the devil is released for a brief amount of time. And he stirs up the agitation among the people, the non-believers who have lived. Some have died and gone to hell. But those that are alive, the, the descendants of those that were in the natural, that have not said, yes, Jesus, I want what you have. Those who have not really accepted him as their Lord. They are stirred up by the devil and this war, the last war, Armageddon Part 2, if you want to call it that, is where all the nations of the world rise up against Jesus. The first Armageddon, I'm getting way off topic here, but um, the Spirit of the Lord is telling me to say this. When you read about Armageddon, in Revelation 19, this is the first Armageddon. Oh, Lord. Do you want me to go into this? No. Okay. Briefly stating, the war of Ezekiel 38-39 is where the nations that are the immediate neighbors of Israel come against them. I'm sorry, that's a Psalm 83 war. They come against them and are defeated. It results in Israel getting a mass expansion of its territory. The next war in Ezekiel 38-39 is wherefore the outlying neighbors, with the exception of Saudi Arabia come against Israel in unison with the backing of Russia. We can see this lining up right now. And they are destroyed, possibly by nuclear weapons. Israel reigns again. Russia's pushed back. Possibly, and... and then comes the battle, of, that's the battle of Armageddon. And there is such mass casualties, blood for 200 miles is approximately 3 to 4 feet high down in the valley of Armageddon. That's the first, that's, that's the word... It looks like Israel is about to be overrun and they call out to God to save them and he sends Jesus. Glory to God. As soon as his foot hits the mountaintop, it splits in two. And it says with a word, he destroys all the armies. That's the battle of Armageddon. Amen. That's the first battle of Armageddon at the second coming. Now, the second battle of Armageddon takes place at the end of the 1,000-year reign as Satan is released for a brief time, and he stirs up enough support among the natural-born men that have not really accepted Jesus as ruler, king, and savior, and Lord, that they come to fight against him. And this battle does not last long. Number one, we are glorified. We can't be killed. 
Number two, Jesus isn't going to put up with it. He just speaks a word and poof, it is all over. Satan is judged and that's it. His revolt has been put down. At that point in time, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody, even those in hell, are taken to heaven. They're seeing the glory of heaven. They're seeing what belongs to those who have believed. But they stand trembling and quaking because they're being brought before the judgment seat of God and cast forever into the lake of fire which was built for the devil and his angels. But since the non-believers refuse to accept Jesus as their Savior, they also shall receive the judgment meant for the devil and his angel. Amen. Then, while this is taking place, the Bible says a terrible fire engulfs the whole earth that cleanses it of everything evil. And a new heaven and a new earth are created by God. Which is also Jesus, because he was a triune being with God. And after this new heaven and new earth are recreated, the new Jerusalem is brought down from heaven to earth. And that's where we dwell with Jesus forever. We are not going to live forever in heaven floating around on little clouds playing golden harps. No. The 1,000 year reign, we are here working. After the second battle of Armageddon, after the judgment seat before God of those unbelievers, after the old earth that we are on right now is dissolved by fire, after the new heaven and new earth is created, after new Jerusalem is brought down from heaven to this new earth, that's where we dwell with Jesus on the new earth. Glory to God. Wow, did I get way off topic on that. Amen. But that's the the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.